In this series on addicted, here, here's what I've learned. Uh, you guys have learned a lot of things that are like strongholds. The Bible talks about uh, things that, that you're addicted to that are, that are influencing you in a way that you don't want it to happen. But what I want to do is I want to spin it just to close out this series by, by talking to you about something that you do want to be addicted to. This, this would help you if you were addicted to it. And I want to talk to you about being real because fake is exhausting. And I want you to know it's your move because a lot of us, we're hoping for the Lord to do something in our lives. Like, God, would you do something in our lives? That's a great prayer request. But let me be honest with you. It's your move. I think we could go ahead and say it this way. You're probably as strong in the Lord as you really want to be. And so, yeah, God, he wants to do something, but it's your move. And that's good because if you're hungry for the Lord, you can make a move and have more of him. And I'm going to show you through scripture that one major move that's really important is to be real. Now, let me just, let me relate to you just for a second. I did not grow up in a church like this. The church I grew up in was not life-giving. Uh, there was no one there that was teaching any type of hope. And in fact, my, my Sunday school teacher was the meanest person at the church, and, uh, which is strange because everybody at the church was mean. It was like a prerequisite to go. You had to be mean to go. And my Sunday school teacher, she hated her class, but she especially hated me. And she was around 30 years old, but she talked like an 80-year-old man. And uh, she'd point at people in the class. Her finger was 30 foot long. And she would say, hell is hot. I'll tell you that. Hell is hot. And I was always thinking, man, God hates me. And she, would, she talked about hell so much, it was like she was born and raised in hell. And, uh, and I wanted to ask her, does the devil wear Prada? Because I know you know. And one time she said, don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there, no. <laughs> and I remember thinking growing up, it's kind of funny now, but this is what I thought. I thought God hated me. I thought he wanted me out and not in. And so I was counting down the days. When I turn 18, I'm leaving this place, and I'm going to run away from God because he doesn't want me around. Now, the way that unfolds in a real world where we make mistakes, and we do make mistakes... The enemy would like for you to think that you're the only one in here that's fallen short of the things of God. But I'm telling you, we all do. Uh, raise your hand if you have issues. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, if you don't think you have issues, that's your issue right there. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm going to prove to you. Okay, how many of you have ever lied big time before? Okay, now put your hands back down. Some of you are not raising your hands, which means you're lying now, which means this is church and God's getting ready to kill you. Ask my Sunday school teacher, all right? So let's re-vote, all right? How many of you, you've lied before? Uh, even the big liars raising their hand now. How many of you have ever stole anything? Come on, bro. Even a people's church ink pen? <laughs> okay. Uh, you got three of them in your pocket right now. Okay. How, how many of you have ever procrastinated way too much? Look at this place. A bunch of heathens up in yeah. The real procrastinators didn't raise their hand. They'll do it later, like 30 minutes from now. <laughs> All right, let me tell you about a mistake my wife made because I'm more confident talking about her mistakes than mine. Uh, when we first moved to Arkansas, we wanted to plant a church, and we knew that we wanted to be a church like this. We wanted to, to be a church with integrity, and, 
and purpose. And, but you can't tell everybody what your reputation is going to be. You just live right and hope for the best. And, uh, well, my son, who was four years old at the time, he was going, excuse me, five, he was going around telling everybody that he was the pastor's son uh, because he was leveraging that for an extra cookies and kids ministry. And my wife is like Tiffany. She's just not going to put up with that. So my wife went over to him and said, are you going around telling people that you're the pastor's son for extra cookies? Yes, ma'am, and it's working good. She goes, no, that's not how we roll at the BZ house. She goes, that's not what you do. You don't go around telling everybody who you are. You just go around and you tell them your name is Tanner, and that's good enough. Yes, ma'am. You hear me? Yes, ma'am. So remember, we're trying to have a good reputation. So the next weekend, he walks into the church, and a lady saw him and said, Now, aren't you the pastor's son? And he said, Well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. <laughs> so we didn't grow much that first year. <laughs> mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Now, what I want to let you know is that I think God, I think he loves you. And I think he wants you to learn things ahead of time. We're going to learn from the hard knocks of our life. We're going to learn from the bad days. But God would love for you to learn before you have a hit upside your head or whatever it might be. It's like when you're raising kids. There are times where you say something, they're running through the house and don't forget whatever, you know. But there are other times where you call them over and you grab them by the face. And you say, what I'm about to tell you is huge. Because you know it can save their life. You don't teach your kid. You don't just want them to learn the hard way. If you love your kids, no one's raising their kid like this. Like, hey, come over here. You're, you're three years old today. I want to teach you about electricity and, and what it can do to the human body. Uh, so lick your finger and stick it up that outlet. <laughs> See how it zapped you? Now get up. Get, get up. Don't ever do that again. That's bad. Yes, sir. Okay, now take that same finger, the one you're holding on to, and I preheated the oven, and I'm going to show you what an oven can do. Don't ever touch a stove like this. See how? Now, that's enough for today. Tomorrow, I'll teach you about traffic. Okay. You wouldn't teach your kids that way. Why? Because you love them. You want them to learn early. God is totally in love with you. He wants to give you hope. He wants you in, not out. So it's your move. But a lot of us, we won't make moves because we think God is mad. At this is the reason why I tried to run away instead of running to. So it's your move. The first type of move that I think is important to understand. And uh, before we get into that, I want to read this passage of Scripture that, that identifies everything I'm trying to say. Hebrews chapter 10. We're in the series of diction. And we're talking about being addicted to being close to him. Look at this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. Now, everybody say confidence. confidence. But say it with swagger, like with confidence, all right? Confidence. One more time. Confidence. That right there. I've been a believer now. Uh, since 1981, I dove into the things of God. I've been in the ministry for 27 years. And this right here is missing in people's lives. You talk to them about their hobby. Yeah, man, I can hunt, or I'm a good basketball player. They got confident. But when it comes to their purpose, their dreams, 
They can't even hardly look you in the eye. The insecurity, people walk into a room, others are laughing, they immediately think they're laughing at me, something's wrong. And, and, and the penalty that comes with that. So this word confidence relates to that type of addiction, how we can break it. But confidence to do what? To just get in the church, like just like sit in a chair somewhere? No. Confidence to do this, to enter. This is a move. To enter the most holy place. What? That's right next to God? How's that going to happen? Only one way. By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's another move. Let us draw near to God. How do you do that? With a sincere heart, man. In full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's a problem. That'll keep you from moving. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faith. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Years ago when I was in Bible school, I was struggling with my call. And one day the Lord just showed me. He said, Rick, I just want you to encourage people. That's all I need you to do, man. And I said, Lord, why is that important? He said, because my people are so discouraged. So I'm getting ready to encourage you, but I'm going to ask for you to be teachable. Because we're going to come from a different angle that, than perhaps you would think of. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to God. In your approach to God. Now let me just say, God wants you close by. And here's the frustration that I have. I've had it for years. I've been in ministry a while, and it's really hard for me to hear the voice of God. And I've had arguments with the Lord about this. It's like, God, why don't you speak up? You're God. Lord, you can crank up serious decibels, but you, you whisper. Because in the Old Testament, it wasn't in the fire, his voice. It wasn't in the thunder. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It was in the whisper. Why? His voice is described as the still, small voice. So God, why don't you speak louder? You can save me so much time. It's so hard to hear from you. And, and one day the Lord showed me why. And my Sunday school teacher never taught me this. In my family, and this is how I got the illustration, in my family we're all loud. I'm a Cajun person from New Orleans. We are crazy. We just, we'll eat anything that lives in a ditch, first of all. And we're just crazy. We're not the smartest people in the world. You won't learn anything from us, but you're going to laugh a lot, all right? And so I remember, I remember uh, one day in the house when we were making a lot of noise that my, the Lord showed me my daughter, Grace, she's the only whisperer in the house. We're all loud. We're all, ah, and then we hear, see me. It's like, what is that? Mosquito. No, it's grace. To hear grace, we have to stop what we're doing and get close to her. I'm convinced that the reason why the Lord speaks in a small, still voice is because you have to be in close proximity to hear it, which is where he wants you. 
I'm going to tell you right now, I never thought that. I never thought the Lord wanted me around. And I, and I moved away. I was constantly moving away. You think about some of the heroes of the faith. This will be funny, uh, but it's so true. Jonah, he ran in the exact opposite direction from God. But God still used him. You talk about a comeback. He came back. We know that Noah, he was amazing, but he ended up being the father of all drunks. Abraham Way too old to be used by God. He was 100 and his wife was 100. God showed up and said, go to babies or us. It's time to have kids. At 100? That's nasty. Okay, let's keep going. Isaac, he was a daydreamer. Jacob, he was a liar. Gideon, he was afraid. Moses was a murderer. Have you ever thought about this? He had to bring down the Ten Commandments, right? Do you think he read them? Yeah. Well, one of them said, thou shalt not commit murder. He killed an Egyptian with a knife. But he still carried him down. If he'd have been like me, he'd have brought it down and said, and here are the nine commandments. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I don't know about you. That's why God didn't use me. <laughs> Rahab, she was a prostitute. Samson, he liked prostitutes. David, he was an adulterer and covered it with murder. Elijah, that brother was suicidal. Isaiah, he preached naked for three years. That is also nasty. John the Baptist ate bugs. Probably my cousin. Jeremiah, he was way too emotional. He probably took bubble baths listening to Michael Buble on Pinterest. Peter, he denied even knowing Christ. Zacchaeus too small. Paul too religious. It goes on and on. God used these people. Lazarus, that dude was... Dead for three days. He still made a move back to Christ. What is your excuse? I'll tell you what it is usually. Condemnation. Now, I'm just going to pastor you for a little bit. I, I'm not your pastor. But I know your pastor loves you. It's probably the reason why he had me come in as a, as a pastor. That's why I have him come in to, to meet our church. Because he's such a, he's a pastor. But here's what I've learned. Condemnation is killing you. Condemnation. It's not what conviction is. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is from the enemy. And it leaves you there to die and to rot and to give up. When you lose your temper, like this week, let's say Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you lost your temper. Condemnation comes in from the enemy and says, see how you are? See the way you lose your temper? How dare you say you're a Christian? You're not right with God. Everybody knows it. Now you're at church during worship. That voice came back. What are you doing clapping, singing? You're not, your whole family's mad at you. Condemnation shows up just to discourage you. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, and you have to have it to get right with God. And conviction, it shows up on the same scene, but it doesn't leave you there to die. It has one objective, to bring you close to the Father. Shows up and says, see how you lose your temper again? We're going to make this strong. Now, here's what we need to work on. And he just lays it out. The Holy Spirit loves to draw us in, not out. You think about Peter and Judas, what they did. What they did wasn't much different. One betrayed, one denied. After Jesus rose from the dead, look what he did. He said, hey, ladies, go get the disciples. And this is very strange. He said, oh, yeah, and get my boy Peter. Why did he have to say, and my boy Peter? Because Peter was so discouraged after a mistake, 
He was going back fishing. He didn't think. If they would have just went and called the disciples, he would have said, well, it's everybody but me. And I'm totally convinced that if Judas, Judas would not have committed suicide, that Jesus would have said, hey, ladies, go get my disciples. Don't forget my boy Peter. And get Judas. I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord wants you in, not out. In. The condemnation had me running out, not in. The one woman who was caught in adultery, she was thrown at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to see what happens to her. She was thrown at the feet of Jesus and the religious people. And Jesus wanted the same goal in mind. That was for her to sin no more. But the religious people, they were like my Sunday school teacher. They wanted to kill her for her to sin no more. Where Jesus wanted to forgive her to sin no more. So this is how it outplays. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. We got to kill her. You know the word. Jesus does know the word. And you do have to die without Jesus. But Jesus said, all right, let's kill her. This is what he said exactly. He said, let's kill her, but let's let the one who's without sin throw the first rock. And then he writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but we all want to (laughs) know. And one by one, they started dropping their rocks. They, they really freaked out. They dropped their rocks, and they walked away. And this woman's, and Jesus says, ma'am, get up. And this was some of you haven't, you haven't had this with the Lord yet. He said, woman, get up. He goes, where are those that condemn you now? She said, well, they're gone. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You talk about addiction? There is nothing more addicting than being forgiven by the Lord. And I'm convinced she didn't go back into adultery. Why? Because there's nothing that can compete with that. But if Jesus would have picked her up and said, You lucky, I just saved your life, you little trashy thing. I can't believe the lifestyle you have. Now get out of here and sin no more. She'd have went right back. And some of you, the reason why you keep going back is because you have no idea how much he likes you around. And that's where he wants you. Can I have an amen? Amen. The Spirit of God is asking for you to be around. Number two, this is huge. It's your move to dream dreams again. To dream dreams. I don't know how many people live in your home or how many friends you have, but you know the people that are around you who are dreaming dreams for God and who's not. It's a sad thing to be married to someone who has a dream for God and then they put it down. In fact, it's difficult to be married to them because we're all created by God to to have a dream. And and I I just want to let you know that Joseph, when he was dreaming, the Bible says his brothers from a long ways off, they looked and they said, look, the dreamer is coming. People can tell in your family from a long ways away when you're dreaming and when you're not. Now, let's hold it right there. Don't you want to go to heaven someday? And, and, And I don't know if you know this. In fact, let's just vote. How many want to go to heaven? Let's just act like God's watching, all right? You want to get this right, all right? How many want to go to heaven someday? Okay, good answer. Now, let me follow up on that. When you get to heaven, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, because we're all going to die. You can Google it when you get home. It's like 100% of all people are dying. Even if all you do is eat healthy, nasty food. Only difference between you and I is you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. But not me. I'm going double meat cheeseburgers. Boom. 
But when you get to heaven, you're finally in front of God. Think, I don't know if you ever thought of this. And you see the enormity of him, the power of his name, the majestic side of him. There's going to be a chance that you'll think back to now. Maybe this is why the scripture says he's going to wipe away tears. There's a chance that you'll look back to now and you'll go, Why didn't I go for it more? Why didn't I live on earth with confidence that God was this big? If I would have known he was this big, I wouldn't have pivoted away. I would have moved in. I would have dreamt more. I would have carried it out. I wouldn't have been so afraid. And I just want to encourage you to live now like he's really that big. Can I have an amen? Blind Bartimaeus, the Lord showed up uh, because blind Bartimaeus was calling him. And Jesus walks over to this blind man. Everyone knew he was blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want me to do for you? And I think that if I'd have been standing around, I'd have went like, Jesus, he, he doesn't know he's blind. Maybe Jesus is tired. I believe he don't know. Everybody knows he wants to see. Jesus knew that. Then why did he ask? Good question. I'm glad you asked me. He asked because Jesus loves to hear what you're dreaming about. When I'm around, Herbert, when I'm around anybody on this staff, and I look at them and I say, look, I don't want to hear about the dream anymore. Herbert's going to say, let me just tell you one more time. There's no way to get him to stop dreaming. And I, I just want you to know to dream dreams for God again. What is it that he's trying to do in your life? What is it that he wants to use you in? And the reason why this doesn't happen a lot of times is for the next reason. Number three, it's your move to be confident in your approach toward others. Now, I know your pastor already covered this on speaking about fear, and that is an addiction. But let me just say it this way. Let me bring one more thought to it. What you are usually called to do and anointed to do is almost always where you are most afraid. You can just go ahead and know. It's like, it's like a lockdown. And it makes sense. The enemy, like I was afraid of public speaking, but I know that God called me to be a pastor, and you, you actually need to be able to do that a little bit. My wife was afraid to be a senior pastor's wife. My son was afraid of teenagers, and now he's a youth pastor. So I don't, I don't necessarily know what it is that you're afraid of, but a lot of times where you're most anointed is where you're also most afraid. And I just want to say, if God is for you, who can be against you? We don't have to be afraid. In our church, we have a lot of godly single people. And the guys won't even talk to the girls. I'm talking about people that love God. If you don't love God, you don't need to be talking to the girls. But I'm talking about the ones that do. And so one guy's scared. I don't know what to say. It's this girl I really like. And I don't know what to say. What do I say? I texted her. It's like, come on, bro. We dated for three months and broke up on a text. You never even talked to her. That's not going out. You got to say something. So he came over. He goes, well, what do I say to this girl? I said, well, we have scones in our foyer. Just go over to her and say, you want a scone? We got rednecks in Arkansas. They speak banjo. Now, 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 now. Three teeth, four of them, four, they got like 11 total teeth. Three of them are in their pocket. 
And so, so anyway, he goes over, he goes over to, to her and said, you want a scone? She said, yeah, I like scones. So they went over and they ate a scone. So he came back. I was just joking about the scone thing. So he came back. We ate the scone. It was good. She liked it. What do I do now? Ask her for another scone. You want another scone? Every Sunday they would eat a scone. They were gaining relationship and weight. But in June of last year, they got married. Boom, get you some of that. But do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they hate because the one they should do, they're afraid of? Do you know how many jobs that were never applied for? Because what if I don't get it? Do you know how many great relationships that God put together? And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about friends. And something happened, and they went their separate ways because no one would make a call because of fear. I say, be not afraid. When Jesus was going across the water, he looked at his disciples and said, don't be afraid. They got so afraid, they literally thought Jesus didn't care. That's what fear does. It brings you to a place where you think God doesn't care. That Jesus is sleeping in the boat, the storm is hitting, and they woke him up. Don't you care? Yeah, he cares. He just wants you to believe that he cares. Here's the next point. It's your move. And this is the one that I came to talk about. This will be the most important one. It's your move to be sincere in your approach to God. Look at this verse. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. I'm going to go ahead and assume this. Uh, most people in this room, I believe the Lord would want you to bump it up in your sincerity. I, I wrote that book, Be Real, because fake is exhausting. Because... Some people, they'll try to rest. I'm just so tired. We're just so tired. And we go on a vacation. We come back. We're more tired. In the early church, we know about the power of God. But what you might forget is that they were together with glad and sincere hearts. You would say, well, I don't need anything but God. No. You have to be sincere with God and with others. Well, no, all I need is God. Show me one verse in the Bible. That's all you need. Because the Bible says you confess your sins to God, he'll forgive you. If you appreciate the forgiveness of God, give the Lord a hand. Come on. He will forgive you. But hold on. But it says, but if you confess yourself to a friend, your sins to a friend, you'll be healed. We have a lot of forgiven people who are sick and exhausted and weary. Here's a move for you. Okay, this is my story. This is how it outplayed for me. This is, can't be your story, and, it, it, and it's really hard for you to connect with. Because I was in Bible school, and in the Bible school I went to, they taught us never to be close to people, that you're called to be in the ministry, the men and women that were there, and you can't get close to people. You'll lose your anointing, familiarity, what it breeds, and you have to stay at a distance, and ministry is lonely. You have to always act like you have your A game, always act like you have your faith. It's just you carry it out between you and God. But when you walk with the people, you look strong. They teach this still in Bible school sometimes. And you sit in a chair. 27 years ago, you sit in a chair on the stage, and you stay at a distance. You can talk to them, but you never, you never let them see what's really going on. That's where you battle it out with God. And I was like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to be in ministry like that. I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to have one friend. So I raised my hand, and the dean would say, that's right. Ministry is lonely. I'm not going to have any friends. No. So I got into the ministry. The first month I graduated from Bible school was the month I got married. 
and also the month I went into ministry full-time. So it was a lot happening during that month of April and May. So my first year of marriage, my wife and I were fighting like crazy. We have an incredible marriage, I promise you. But our first year, it was like wars and rumors of wars. You know that scripture that says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We're staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. <laughs> okay, that's not what it means. Okay. So we were arguing. One day, I had to preach to this church. Now, remember, I thought I had to just battle it out with God. So our marriage was horrible, and everybody thought it was great because I was playing the game, and I was exhausted. So Michelle and I, we were arguing one day. I had to go prepare a sermon for these people. It was 10,000 people in that church I was speaking to, and my wife is... She made me mad, and I just yelled at her. I said, Michelle, shut up. I'm sick of you. I've got to go prepare a sermon. And just, you're ridiculous. And my wife, who's so amazing, first of all, she's smart and beautiful, hot. Let me just tell you, she's hot. And, and she's so, she's just easy to be married to, but I couldn't do it. I was so insecure. So I left her there, and I had to go prepare. Lord, I'm a man of God. Give me a sermon, Lord. Give me a sermon. And I heard my wife crying in the other room, so I fell to my knees and said, God, forgive me. And he said, I forgive you. Now go up and ask your wife to forgive you. And that was harder. So I went over, and I'm talking to Michelle. I said, hey, babe, I'm sorry. I didn't even know how to admit I was wrong. It was hard for me to admit I was wrong then. It still is at times. And she was broken. She looked at me. She goes, who are you? She said, are you being real when you yell at me? Were you being real when we were dating? Are you being real when you preach? I just need to know who I'm married to. And I said, babe, I don't know. I'm sorry. So we prayed together, and then first year of marriage, we made out and then made up. You got to make out, right? And then we made up, and then we made out one, a couple more times. And then, then I went back into my office. Okay, here's where it gets pointed, and I want you to figure out where to put this for your life. I went back in my office, and this is one of the times I heard the voice of God. And he said, I forgive you, and so does your wife. But when you preach this weekend, I want you to tell the church what you said to your wife. I said, tell them I was yelling at my wife? Yes. God, I can't do that. God, I'm in the ministry. God, you're not supposed to do that. God, you need to go to Bible school. They clear that up. The first semester, they cover all that material. <laughs> so I decided not to do it. I mean, no, that didn't go well. So I'm preaching, and it was really terrible. And I finally just closed my Bible. And I thought ministry was over for me. But I looked down at my wife, and I told everybody what I said to her. And it was in that moment that I was closer to the Lord than at any previous time in my entire life. I didn't care if I was doing it the right way or the wrong way. I was being real. That's not necessarily the pathway everybody should take, but it was amazing. I still didn't change, though. Then my wife and I, our marriage started doing better, but everybody thought it was great the whole time. And there was this girl we were counseling. I spent 100 hours counseling this girl my wife was always with me. She was depressed. I didn't understand depression then. This is sort of embarrassing. 
But I looked at her in a bad day. I was just in a bad mood. And I said, Elise, I don't even know if you're really depressed. I think you just come over here to hang out with my wife and I. And I hate that I said that because Elise got mad, stormed out of the house and went to her home and grabbed a pistol. And she blew her brains out. Okay, I know for sure. I'm not trying to be theatrical. It's just what happened. And I know I'm responsible for that. But here's what I want to talk to you about. For the next two months, I was totally dead on the inside. And not one person in the world knew it. And it hit me. I'm a fake. And no one knows it. In fact, I'm good at this. And I was exhausted. And one day I was reading about the early church and the way they were sincere. And I called a friend and it all changed for me. That's why the scripture says, draw near to God. with, Give him something to work with. He already knows what we're going through anyway. It's not like you tell him. He's like, what happened? And he's saying, thank you. When I told him. What was going on? It was like I could tell he was saying, this, this is my boy. Please. And then the last point, it's your move to encourage others to follow after Christ. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us not give up meeting together. Look, let me just say this. The reason why this church is growing is because this church cares about souls. And this church will never just be for you. And the church has to exist for its non-members too. We fill you up with the word so you can go out and win people to Christ. You talk about addicting. There's nothing cooler than being used by God. The value of a soul. When I moved to Arkansas, they didn't see the value of a soul. And I I remember trying to tell them, and one day I just passed along this, and I'll give it to you. True story happened to my family. My daughter, who is very strong-willed, she saw a Hallmark movie of a 13-year-old girl ran away from home. And at four years old, she said, I'm going to try running away from home. That just looks fun. But I don't want to go. And and, and when I'm 13, I'm going to do it now. And I can't do it in the daytime. My parents are always around. So I'm going to wait till they go to sleep and do it at night. She said, I don't want to go alone. I'm going to bring my two-year-old brother with me. We went to sleep one night. She packed the wagon. She put his diapers in there, some Skittles and her dolls. In the middle of the night, her wheel woke her up. It's like, boom, it's time. And she goes in and gets my little, her little brother and my son Tanner. And he, he said, I'm too little. Go without me. She said, loser. Left him there. She got the wagon. She left our house. We're sleeping. Left our street. Took a right, another right, a left, all the way to a four-lane highway. We're sleeping. She went another half mile down that road, and a lady saw her. Cars everywhere. And the lady said, young lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm running away from home, and this is fun. She goes, get in the car. I'm taking you home. No, ma'am, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. (laughs) But you can walk freely down this road. Your, Your family is whacked. So my daughter turns around and goes home, and this lady follows behind her in the car all the way back to my home. Knock on the door. Shell, did you hear that? No. Another knock. Shell, somebody's at the door. Go see who it is. That didn't happen. So I went down, and I heard this lady's voice on the other side of the door. I have your daughter. No, you don't. My daughter's sleeping upstairs. No, I have your daughter. And then I heard my daughter. Dad, it's me, Haley. 
open the door. And we thanked the lady, and I gave her stuff like my cars. And then uh, I went inside and stared at my daughter, and here's the end, and I'm done. If my daughter would have not returned, she's 21 now. I'd still be living in that house, still be looking for her, and every time the phone would ring, I'd run over to the phone and grab it, and I'd answer, Haley, and here's what I want you to know, People's Church. I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find my daughter, and thus you have a church. The responsibility of this church is to bring your friends who do not have a church here. So they can find Christ, get set free, and be leaders. They got pastors that God is calling are not even saved yet in this community. And if somebody will value their soul, we can see them raised up and used for God. Thus saith the Lord.